This episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered was brought to you by Balesa.co, a amazing porn blog for women. It has articles, it has videos, it has all the kind of stuff that women looking for porn that they want to watch would really, really enjoy. So make sure that you check them out. That's B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot C-O. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Today, I have a very special guest in the studio today. It's a gentleman by the name of Josh Lazy. That's L-A-Z-I-E, in case you were wondering. I guess the easiest title to slap on him would be addiction specialist, but he's so much more than that. Sure, Josh has been sober for 11 years, runs a men's rehab down in Venice. Josh was also in the band Danzig, which is pretty fucking cool. And he is a conflict photographer who's covered wars in Syria, Afghanistan, and many other countries in the Middle East. So basically, he's an all-around fascinating guy. I wanted to have him on to talk about addiction because this is a subject very close to my heart as I wage my own war with alcoholism pretty much my entire life. Also, it's been a topic that I think is very relevant in the adult industry today as we lost a few of our own to drugs and alcohol in just the past few months. I've also seen a lot of my colleagues discussing their struggles with addiction on social media. So I hope that you enjoy this interview. It's longer than most of mine because, as I mentioned before, this is a subject that is incredibly personal to me, and I'm like really, really excited to talk about this because, you know, it's weird. It's been this double-edged sword for me. It's been the greatest curse that I've ever had, but it's also been the greatest gift that I've ever had because there's nothing like conquering your demons and achieving sobriety after years and years and years of being a raging alcoholic and basically destroying your lives and those who love you around you as well. So I hope that you guys enjoy this podcast and hopefully you won't relate too well to it. Hopefully this will just be an interesting study for you in terms of people who are struggling with addiction, something that you know nothing about. But if you do find yourself relating to this podcast, I just want you to know you are not alone. And with that, let's introduce Josh Lazy. Welcome back, everyone, to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Thank you so much for joining us. And today is going to be a really special podcast. Um, it's going to be something that's very close to my heart. We're going to talk about addiction today. And today in the studio, I have addiction specialist. I don't even know what that means. Josh Lazy. Well, I've seen you described as an addiction specialist in the media before, so I figured I would just like... Stick I've with seen that. you described as a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. I don't know if I'm a motivational speaker. I wish. Like, I find you motivational, but that's just me. I wish I was like a Tony Robbins guy. Well, who's to say you're not? That's true. I mean, it. I mean, like I said, or, I was inspired by hearing you speak. Or like Tom Cruise and Magnolia. Was it Magnolia? Yes, it was Magnolia when he was like the guy awesome. that was trying was, to teach other guys how to like be a player. You're gonna fuck. He was so great. Yeah. He was like, most of the time I fucking despise Tom Cruise, but right. he killed it. 
Yeah, he was good in that. And then um, Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder, he was good. He was good in that. Any other time I see him, I just think Top Gun. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, it's Maverick. Fuck that dude. <laughs> so Josh and I met um, less than a year ago, right? No. A year ago? It's. I think it's been a couple years. No. Actually. Uh-uh. I don't think so. Has it? Wait. No, it's been like a year and it's been, it's been like a year. It's been less than two years. I know that. Okay. It's been less than two years. More than a month, less than two years. Okay. There you go. How about that? All right. So, um, I'm, I guess I'm going to break anonymity here by talking about where I met him. So I saw him speak at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and I remember when I walked in and I saw you and I was just like, okay. You know, because, like, he's, like, a hard-looking dude. Like, you're intimidating. You know, I'm honestly, like, intimidated right now sitting across from you. You, of all people, intimidated yes. by me? Yeah, totally. But, but you also, know me. I know. Well, that's why I'm more intimidated by you than, like, by just the way you look. But, like, he's got, he's covering tattoos, and he looks like someone who would kick your fucking ass. And he probably could because you're jiu-jitsu, right? Or, yeah. no, Brazilian. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's all one thing. Yeah. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is all one thing. It's like the distant cousin of the Brazilian wax. <laughs> Which Less I'm actually painful. getting later today, ironically, like right after this podcast. Really? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I just Can brought that up. Can we take the podcast there? No. I'll be like screaming the whole time. It's so uncomfortable. That is so gnarly. <laughs> it's intense. The things that women go through to be it's beautiful. Brutal. Like is, I'm so stoked. It's like yeah. I don't really have to do much no, as a man. No. Just you, piss all over the place and yeah. eat a sandwich and it's like whatever. And then you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so I and then so I was like okay, whatever, you know, I don't I wasn't really expecting much. And then you went up and you spoke and I just remember being so fucking blown away because mm, thank you. Your you know, your pitch was inspirational it was poignant it was moving it was funny like you have this ability to be able to tell like a really deep and meaningful story that people can relate to but also to like not take yourself too seriously like you you interject humor into what is a very serious subject you know and addiction and alcoholism is a very serious subject and I really wanted to have you on today because <clears throat> it's been something that's been I mean obviously it's very close to my heart because I've had my struggles with alcoholism over the years. And, you know, there's been several people in the adult industry who have died as a result of um, drugs and alcohol over, like, just the last few months. And there's other people that I know are struggling with it in my industry. And it's something that people have started talking about. And I just felt like it was, like, the perfect time to have you come on and, and talk about it because I feel like there's still so much stigma around it. And it's something that you know, should be out in the open, and I think that we should discuss. There, There, there is a lot of stigma around it. And, and um, I think coupled with this industry and, like, a, and having some sort of alcohol problem or, or drug addiction or something, it's like there, there is that stigma around it. And, and, and there's just always, there's, there's always going to be. And it's, it's fucking hard, you know. It's, it's hard to admit that you need help. It's hard to admit that you got a problem. It's hard to, it's, you know, the whole world is saying like, hey, Holly, like, you might want to stop, drop, and roll because you're on fire. And you're like, what are you talking about? This outfit's bitching. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, it, you, you know, it, it's, 
it's fucking hard. And then with with all the I think we start future tripping on the outcome of of asking for help. Mm-hmm. Well, if I ask for help, you know, whatever, uh, Jim South isn't going to fucking call me anymore or something. I don't fucking Jim know. South isn't going to call you anymore anyways because that guy is like literally not really in business and hasn't been for like the last 10 years. Okay. That's what I know that you're fucking old school, <laughs> that you know who Jim South is. That's amazing. That is my secret. Like I'm old, like I know this like old school industry. But anyway. Yeah. So, like, Josh is loosely connected to the adult industry, so he's not, like, completely at odds with the general... Not at all. ...guests that I have on. No, not at all. I mean, I worked for an adult company for a while, and and I've... Wait a minute, wait a minute. You did? Yeah. I feel like you did not tell me this. Well, I think because of... I I, I think um, there's no shame in saying, like, I worked in adult at all. Right. I think it's the company that I work for is more of a bummer. Can you tell me who it is? Extreme Associates. I worked for Rob Black. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, boy. Now you get it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah. Um so I'm not so I'm not uh uh you know, I'm I'm And you dated someone in our industry too, right? I've dated a few people in this industry. <laughs> you know, and, and and I don't and I don't have and I don't feel weird about saying any of that too. Right. It's like I was telling a, a friend of mine the other day, he's like, How man, how do you date a girl in the business? And I'm like, how do you not? <laughs> You know, how do you not? It's like, you know what you're getting. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go home and like jerk off to one of these chicks, why wouldn't you just go out with one? Yeah. I right? Like that attitude. It's the truth. It's the fucking truth. Like, I'm going to assume that you don't have like a lot of jealousy issues. I don't. Because that's the, that's the problem that guys have. Because they can't separate the intimacy of like a real relationship and love from like professional working environment where you're having sex with people for money. Well, I think I think one of the problems that I come into more is not being jealous. Mm. You know, and I I'm just I I just like I like I sometimes I want to be like I try and fake like I am and I'm just not, you <laughs> right. know. I'm just like hey man, if you don't want to be here, like don't fucking be here. Right. Do you, you feel know? like women like want you to fight for them more? I I think so. Do you not show them enough affection? No, it's not that. It's not that. Like okay. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm uh, moderately affectionate. Moderately, <laughs> I like that. Well, I'm not. I, I don't think anyone wants to be over affectionate. Yeah. I think any. I think any woman that I would be attracted to wouldn't be overly affectionate. Because she that would feel clingy and needy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. and 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 for me personally, like. I'm just not attra- uh, uh, yeah, I'm just not attracted to clingy, needy, like codependent, codependent women, right? Yeah. Okay. I like strong women that like keep you on your toes. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like the grab bag of not knowing if you're coming home to a hug and a kiss or a fucking frying pan flying across. The really? Room. No, so I'm you totally like kidding. unstable women. Well, I mean, given my history that you know, I think, <laughs> I think yeah, we could say that. They might be but, saying that you're a little, you're attracted to the drama a little bit, maybe. I don't know. I think crazy just kind of works. Yeah. So okay, so but, let's go back on the subject sorry. of you and where you and where you come from. And okay, so you worked at Extreme Associates, but you also you were in a band. I was in a band. You were I, in Blink One Eighty Two. 
I, <laughs> I was. <laughs> I'm just wow. kidding, everybody. <laughs> I love it. I only say that because I was joking with Joanna Angel when she was here earlier because I knew that Josh was in Danzig and I said that on the podcast and then in my head all of a sudden I went, wait, was it Danzig? It was Danzig, right? And then I was like, wait, maybe it was the Misfits. And then I just suddenly had this panic. Like sometimes when I say things, even though I'm pretty sure that what I'm saying is correct, I just have this sudden panic that it's not right. And I'm just spreading complete untruths. And then I'm going to look like a total idiot. But saying it on here, it's like kind of permanent. Like it's an ink. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not like you're just at Cantor's or something. You go, yeah, I think the guy was in Danzig. And if he wasn't, if he wasn't, it doesn't really matter because that's it. The conversation is just kind of like – in the air, but here it's kind of like that's the thing about the internet. Like everything's in ink, yes. No matter like what you do, and yes. It's, and it's there, so that is absolutely true. No, I was actually not in Danzig. I was in Blank One Eighty Two. I couldn't. If, if you stuck a fucking gun in my mouth and asked me to name a Blank One Eighty Two song, I I couldn't. I can't think of any either I right can't. now. I I just know that they exist. But I'm not a Blank One Eighty Two fan. I mean, are there any more? There's got to be. There's got. There is. You know, someone what? somewhere is listening to Blink One Eighty Two. One of the right girls now. at my boxing gym is a Blink One Eighty Two fan. I remember because Travis Barker um, would come and train at Box and Burn sometimes, and she was a fan. Oh. And I remember kind of laughing about it. I'm like, it's such a, a bummer. It's a Blink One Eighty Two fan. It's such a bummer when you like like someone and you kind of get a hold of their well, not CD collection, but yeah. I remember like going to girls' house and seeing their CD collection, just being like, "Oh, this fucking sucks." The word well, now it's, it's like so your bad. iTunes, yeah. right? So I remember like I would put on so before Spotify and Pandora came along, um, I would play I do playlists when I'm shooting, and I would put on my iTunes <laughs> playlist, and it would be like a combination of because sometimes when I would import my videos, the audio would import automatically into iTunes. So it would be a combination between a clip of a girl like screaming, getting fucked in the ass, and then an AA meeting, and then like <laughs> Britney it. Spears. It was just Hit like me, baby, one more time. I yeah. love it. And it was just like I would, and these things would come on randomly, and I'd be like, "Oh fuck, I gotta take that off my iTunes." Ugh. And it'd just be like so embarrassed. I mean, that is showing you, you know, my deepest, darkest self yeah. is like allowing you into my iTunes. This library. is it. Like, yeah, you're like, here it is. This is this. Is, there's. <laughs> That's that's what we call full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And there's nothing worse when a girl's like doing like a strip tease and all of a sudden it's like, Hi, I'm Matt and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and like people are clapping. I'm like, we're just uh, gonna skip that one. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of, okay, so tell I'm gonna let you kind of tell us your story because you have an incredible story and I really want well, other people to hear it. I think um Wow, it's it's. Uh, you gotta have this like memorized by now because you speak yeah, but a it, lot at meetings. I do. I speak way too much, yeah. and I fucking hate it. Really, you're so good at it. I mean, I it's like it's one of those things. Like, I do it if I'm asked. I'll do it. I right. never want to do it. I don't. Uh, as you know, I have a lot of anxiety, and mm-hmm. like, I'm not a very social person. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of anxiety in big rooms of people and people coming up and, like, shaking your hand and saying, hey, thank you. you know, and it fucking freaks me out. It really does. And I think that more than speaking, like, if uh, 
you know, if speaking at a meeting can like help someone or someone hears something and they're like, fuck, that was great. And that's going to keep me sober for another five fucking minutes. Then yeah, I'll do it. But, but, but I hate doing it, but also like speaking here, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird forum. Yeah. Uh, because it's more of a conversation. It's more of a conversation, yeah. <clears throat> and but, I can interrupt your story and talk about myself. I love it. Please do. <laughs> Which um, I'm really good at. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I mean, my story, my my story, is a uh, not a lot unlike a lot of people's, but mm-hmm. you know, unlike a lot of people's at this at the same time. That's that's the thing that that's that uh, is so weird about addiction and alcoholism. Like it's not. It it it's uh, it's non-discriminate. Like it doesn't matter if you if you come from, you know, a nice. I I I know people that come from nice, warm, loving families with just like all the love and all the support and all the validation and everything they could fucking imagine. Which is me. Yeah. Yeah. And have the same problem with drugs and alcohol that I do, and, right. and it's like you know my. My father died of a heroin overdose when I was a year old. My mom may or may not still be strung out. I don't know. I haven't talked to her for a long time. My my uh, my brother got sober for a while and couldn't get and couldn't get sober again and, and hung himself. Um, and it's just like this long line in my family, which kind of makes more sense. You would say like, oh yeah, you know, if if you know, like. Um, it's almost the same if you if you think like my mom's a jazz singer, mm-hmm. you know. So of course there was music always around my house, and I played music. Your mom's an amazing, amazing photographer, mm-hmm. and you know you turned out to be okay photographer. <laughs> <laughs> Keep me humble. I love it. <laughs> no, you're fucking good. We've had the discussion. It's like I couldn't do what, and I couldn't you do. do what you do because yeah, Josh is also a photographer, and he's done some incredible conflict photography um, in. Like uh, in the, the war, mid- yeah, I mean, you've got crazy East, stories about all over that. The Middle East, and we'll get that but, to that for sure. Yeah, but but um, <clears throat> so you know, I started getting, I started doing drugs really young, and I first got sober really young, <clears throat> and I stayed sober for a long time. You were sober for was it eighteen years? Eighteen years. That's yeah. crazy. So I was sober all through Danzig. I was sober. I was sober. You mean Blink One Eighty Two? Yeah, Blink One Eighty Two. Fuck, those dudes made a lot of money, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if it's like, if that was something that was important, I would be bummed because in Danzig, we didn't make shit. <laughs> but we got laid a lot. Yeah. You know? And we had fun. Yeah. So whatever. Anyways. Um, uh, but yeah, I was I was sober all through Danzig. I was sober all through uh, Extreme Associates. I was sober through through a lot of stuff. And, and there was a point when I just wasn't, sober anymore and I, and I was uh, I was like in this fucking crazy relationship with a girl in this industry mm-hmm. that really uh, has absolutely nothing to do with, with me relapsing it was just it was just my choice and it, and, it, and it ended fucking horribly now you guys so how old were you when you first got sober? 20 okay so I remember you saying when you relapsed there was a part of your of your brain that said to you you know I was young Maybe so, I'm over it. Maybe I'm fine now. And I, that's common. You know, people get sober and they're so, especially if they get sober young and they're sober for a long period of time and they think, you know, it was probably just a phase in my life and I could drink again like a normal person. And, and they that, soon find out that's not the case. And that was it. And, and, excuse me. And, um, 
I told myself, I told myself all like all that shit. I even called one of my best friends who I was sober with for years. And I was like, look, dude, you're not going to understand this, but I'm going to kind of break it down to you. Like I got sober really young and I basically gave this, this whole, like, it's, it's very embarrassing. The, the talk that I gave of <laughs> I'm a man now, you know, <laughs> like I was a boy uh-huh. and now I'm a man uh-huh. and I have stuff. Like I have a car, I have a, I have a house, I have a, uh, you know, I've been through puberty. I shave, you know, <laughs> like, like just like r- stuff that means absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah. And, um, and I thought that it would be different. And I really honestly did. I, I really honestly thought that I was like, you know, things will be different because my age has changed and I've, and I have all this life experience and that will protect me against this gnarly, gnarly, gnarly fucking disease. And unfortunately, it didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, it was like six weeks, man. After 18 years, it was like six weeks. I was in a coma for five days. I OD'd. My friends found me. Um, like, uh, the, the, uh, and I didn't find this out till, till after I OD'd. Um, the doctor actually came down to the waiting room and told my friends, are like, listen, man, this dude was like out for a long time. And at some point we were going to have to have the conversation of making a decision of if we want to continue this because he's lost a lot of oxygen to his brain. Everybody just split. Everybody was just like, I'm not making that fucking decision. No way. It was take you off life support. Yeah. It was Thanksgiving night. They're like, I'm going to have Turkey, you know, like, fuck no, I'm not being like, Oh yeah, just kill him, dude. You you know, or whatever. So, so they, they, they left. And I mean, obviously, uh, Everything turned out semi all right, but um, but it was quick. It was quick, and and all that shit that that stuff that I thought was just complete bullshit. Oh, it's a progressive disease. It's this. It's that. It's whatever. You know, you can never drink again like you used to. But that I called bullshit on. Just in my experience, all came true for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's how it is for for uh, for everyone. Mm-hmm. More often than not, that's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the fucked up part about it is the only way you're going to know is to try. Yeah. That's it. There's no other, it's like, (laughs) and that, and that's, you know, I had, uh, my friend, my friend Blake just passed away, uh, I don't know, six, six months ago or something. Really cool guy. And I remember sitting outside in, in the parking lot with him having this, having this, he's like, Hey man, can I talk to you for a minute? I was like, yeah. He goes, I want to start drinking again. I was like, okay, you know, why? And he goes, well, this and this and this and this and this. What was what was your experience? And I go, dude, my experience was fucked. Like, you you know my experience. And he's like, I think I could do it. And I go, I thought I could do it. And I'm not saying that you can't. I go, I'm, but I, you know, there's only one way to find out. But it's a really, it's it's a really, really, really big risk. Because I think a lot of us get I this is one thing that I told my friend that was just fucking nuts is I said, well, don't worry if things get bad. Like, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just come back to AA and I'll just get sober again. Like, you have some kind of fucking choice. Yeah. You know, and it, and we don't have that choice. I know? remember one of the things that you said when you spoke that really stuck with me was you said um, alcohol drinking is like fucking a gorilla. You're done when the gorilla's done. And it's true. And I was just like, that is so true. Because at the time, I was dealing with my own relapse. 
And um, so this is something else I've ever never really publicly talked about. Um, so I had seven years of sobriety and then I relapsed and I'm at seven months now and it took me three and a half years to get back there. And I hit it very well. Like the public never knew. And a big reason I didn't want to talk about it publicly was, first of all, I was obviously very ashamed and embarrassed because I had kind of made myself this like pillar of sobriety, you know, especially in my own head. There was a lot of ego wrapped in it. And I didn't want my clients to know because I was afraid that they would think that I wouldn't be able to continue working or do a good job. And and this this relapse, it sucked and it was really bad, but it wasn't as bad as it was before I got sober the first time mm. um, because I don't know why, actually, honestly. I just, you know, I'd spent so long building this brand and building my business and it was so fucking important to me and that was the last thing I wanted to lose. So, like... I never came to work drunk. Like I, you know, would always make sure that, you know, I wasn't re that hung over the next morning. Um, but you know, it was, it was a battle and it was fucking awful. So, um, and I experienced the same, the same thing where I was just like, I can just come back to AA and I can just get sober again. And I couldn't do it. And what was so frustrating about it was, like even more so than before, because the first time I got sober, it took me like a year and a half of going to meetings to finally like lock some time down. But um, this time I was like, I know what it's like to be on the other side. I know what it's like to be sober. I know how much happier I felt, how much more um, serene I felt, how much like my self-esteem was so much better. Like everything was so good. I know that bright, shiny, happy place why can't I get there knowing? Because the first time I got sober, I didn't know it was on the other side. I thought my life was over, you know, and I thought I'm never going to have fun again. I'm never going to be able to go to a party again. I'm never going to be able to have sex. Have sex sober? How am I going to do that? I can't date, you know. I can't, like, what am I going to do when I get married? Which is so fucked up when you think about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like saying, like, hey, Holly, I think you're really hot, but I just need to let you know before anything happens. I have to be really drunk to fuck you. <laughs> right? But it's nothing personal. Yeah. It's my own shit. Yeah. Like, get the fuck out of here. I mean, that's yeah. that's crazy. It's absolutely it, it, insane. It's crazy. Like, oh, my God, I'll never be able to get loaded. Dude, you're doing so much blow. Like, your cock can't even fucking work. Yeah. So, but but it's and, – and that's the thing. I have this discussion with people so – so because I, because I work with so many people that are, like, newly sober. And the big thing is always, like – it's so boring. Like, how am I going to have fun? Like, dude, we just picked you up, like, in a hotel in downtown smoking crack with a tranny. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Were you, were you killing it or something? <laughs> because you kind of called us for help. Like, it's it's not. Like, You're obviously not having fun anymore. Yeah. Like, we're not yeah. just driving around kicking open random fucking hourly hotel room doors and just being like, come on, bro, we're taking you to AA, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, people, you have to ask for that fucking help. Right. If it's gotten to the point, and I and this is just like some people disagree. I'm sure people will disagree with a lot that I say, but I think if it's gotten to the point where you think you may need help or you think you you may have a problem, you probably haven't had fun for a while. Right. For a while. Exactly. Yeah. You I know? wasn't having fun anymore. I was drinking vodka in my closet and like crying. Like alone, like Rager. That's, that, yeah, that's, that sounds awesome. It was not fun at all. I was waking up every morning hating myself, checking my phone to see like who I texted, 
you know, in a fucking drunken stupor. Like not yeah. remember. I was blacking out constantly. Um, it got to the point where I was drinking in the morning just to stop the shakes. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to my dad about um, drinking and uh, my dad was an alcoholic too. And he actually stopped on his own. Like he didn't go to meetings. He just quit. And like, some people, and some people and, can do that. Some people can do that. Did that. I'm just not one of those people. And, and I'm, Same. Not, I'm, yeah. I'm not one of those people, but I'm also not one of those people like, this is the only way. Like, yeah. I don't, I, this is the way that I know that like works for, right. for, for, for me. Yes. And, but some people can do that shit, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I remember him telling me, he was like, You're, you know, no, I remember saying to him one day, because, you know, I was drinking a lot. And I was like, you know, Dad, I think I might have a drinking problem. I don't know what to do. And he was like, you're not an alcoholic. He's like, alcoholics are the kind of people who, like, drink in the morning, you know, because they feel sick. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not there yet. And then, like, a year later, I was there. Yeah. And I still, like, didn't want to stop. Like, I still couldn't admit it to myself. Crackheads are the people who, like, are pushing shopping carts and, you know, living in downtown L.A. or whatever. And it's just bullshit. It's, yeah. You know, it. there's, you know... um, what 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 I think the the public opinion of what a like a, a bottom looks like mm-hmm. is very different from um like our opinion. Like Well and know. it yeah, I mean everyone's bottom is different. Yeah. And you have to hit I mean for me it was more of an emotional bottom. Like and that was what made it excuse me, so difficult for me was that I had all the things. I had a career. I had, you know, parents who loved me. Um I had a boyfriend at the time. I had a house. I had a car I had like I had all these things. I had fans, like so. You know why was I so? Why was I doing this to myself? And I remember being so frustrated with myself because I just couldn't understand why I was destroying myself in the way that I was destroying myself. And it and it like created just this self-loathing because I was like, Holly, you've been given everything on the planet. Like people would kill to be in the position that you're in, and you're just throwing it all away. You're just ruining your life, and you're hurting the people around you who love you. And you're, and why can't you stop? Like, you're a strong woman. You were raised by another strong woman. Like, why, why can't you stop? What's wrong with you? And I literally thought I was like, you know, and I, and I began to develop this distinct separate voice in my head that was alcoholism. And then there was me saying, you know, no, don't pick up that drink. And then there was the alcoholic voice that was just like forcing my hand. Yeah. I mean, I remember like, my hand would just reach out to this drink and it would just pour it down my throat. And the whole time, you know, this voice in my head is going like, don't do that. Don't do that. And I couldn't, I could not control myself and I couldn't explain it to anybody and I couldn't explain it to myself. And I kept trying to wrap my head around it and intellectualize it. Like, why is this happening to me? And it wasn't until I finally went to rehab and learned about alcoholism that I was like, and suddenly there was just this intense relief. I was like, oh, my God, that's what's wrong with me. Like, I'm an alcoholic. And there was something that was so, like, comforting about that because then I learned that there was a solution and there was something I could do about it. And then I met other people who understood me. Because I can sit here and, like, I, you know, try to explain to my boyfriend, like, what alcoholism is and, like, why I do the things that I do. And he'll he's not an alcoholic. He'll never understand. He won't. And, and, but I'll spend <clears throat> hours trying to explain it. But, like, you and I can just, like, you know me in a way that he'll never know me because you get me in a way that he'll never get me. Yeah. And it's the same it's, with all alcoholics. Like, we just I mean, it's the same, with, like, it's, it's the same with cancer survivors, too, or, yeah. or, or whatever, you know. I mean, if you don't have this disease, like... Yeah, you, you, I'm not saying you can't be compassionate towards it or empathetic or, what, or whatever, but 
but it's it, it's really hard to understand, and it, and it's really complicated, and it's really hard for people who don't have it to understand. I, you, I just say like, hey man, I'm allergic to alcohol. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I go, it's the same thing as a peanut allergy. Like, you're not going to start stuffing fucking planters down my throat, <laughs> too, are you? You know? Yeah. And, and it's and 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 it is the same thing. Like, it it could kill us. And an alcoholic death is like really fucking ugly, as we've all seen. Yeah. Especially in this industry re- mm-hmm. recently. I mean, not not even in this industry, in the fucking country. Like, mm-hmm. it's gnarly. Yeah. It's gnarly. I mean, as a as a as a country, we need help. Yeah. You know, and as a country, uh, I'm not going to get into this whole fucking thing. But <laughs> I don't even want to get started. I'll I'll start fucking you know yeah. screaming from the mountain throwing shit. Yeah. <laughs> Impeach that cocksucker or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but you know. I, there, there is a huge epidemic mm-hmm. of opioids and meth, and and our country's fucked up, mm-hmm. and there's not enough help, and there's and there's still this stigma around asking for help, mm-hmm. you know. And I and I'll I'll say this to anybody, like, yeah, I own a treatment facility. I'm not here to push that on you. It's, I'm not here to push anything on anyone. But if anyone is listening and anyone ever needs help, man, call me. Email me, do whatever, male, female, I don't give a fuck. We will help you find a place. Because I, I don't think people realize, like, how fucking hard that is. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I mean, well, fuck it. You said it. So I talked to you when you were going yeah. through your shit. And you were a fucking mess, man. And it yeah. was, and, and, and I got it. And I get it. You're, you're like, and then there's this. And then there's my clients. And there's this. And we can come up with every reason just like just like I did, like we all do, have come up to of every reason, like, why not to stop drinking? Mm-hmm. But there's never that re- – it's like if we just kind of flip that all around, it's like, well, why should I stop drinking? Oh, my clients, my family, my kids, my career, you know, whatever the fuck it is. Right. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really, really insane disease. And it's a really – it's a really vicious cycle that we just can't – get out of. I mean, by definition, alcoholism is someone who's lost the ability to control their drinking. Right. Right. Which you can just take that and add, you know, crack or opiates or meth or whatever. Meth is fucking so weird. It's so weird. (laughs) It is. Like nothing gets you on like Craigslist faster than (laughs) meth. It's so weird. Like I had to run with that shit and it was like, like I was doing all this coke and I was like on... (laughs) I was. Are you going to tell the story about when you were in your apartment with your, all your socks on? Uh, I mean, I can. Because that's but like this, one of my favorite stories. Well, this was like, in, this was in that time frame. <laughs> okay. You know, and when you're really high, you don't want people around. No. You know, and of course, the only people, uh, like, I love prostitutes. In this, in, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm going to. There's more to it than just that statement. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that statement on its own. Is yeah, that statement on its own is kind of. Is, but I love prostitutes in the in, uh, for the reason that like you can just be totally honest with them. Mm-hmm. You just be like who you are, like, and and they don't give a fuck because they're just rendering you a service, right? Whether that's and and so I would I was like on Eros or whatever, mm-hmm. and I would just be like, hey man, listen, like. I don't want sex. I don't want anything. I'm really fucking high, and I just need someone to like hang out with me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Great." 
I've actually talked to quite a few girls who escort on the side, and they've told me that they've been on many jobs where the guy didn't want to have sex. He just wanted to hang out yeah. and talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I think it's great. Like, yeah. you know, why is there any shame in that? That's fucking I've weird. personally always <laughs> felt that prostitution should be legalized. I don't see why it's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, don't understand why. why the government gets to tell you what you can do with your own body. I don't see why it's not. I don't see, I mean, you know, I if you look at numbers, you know, and if you look at statistics, it's like in, in a place, I lived in Amsterdam in like 19, I don't even know, 88 or 89 or something. And, and I was living in Amsterdam. And I remember in the year, I lived there for two years. And in the two years that I lived there, there was three cases of rape. Yeah. I've been to Amsterdam as well. In the country. And it is like super safe there. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you want to get laid, you just go fucking get laid. Yeah. You know, and and I, I I don't know. That's a that's a whole nother subject. Well, but. I mean, you you know, I, and I've said this before on the podcast. Like the countries that um, you know where porn is illegal and where they really sexually repress their populace have the highest cases of violence against women. Yeah, because you can't sexually repress people. You can't repress people. Period. Yeah, that's true. Period. I'm always just thinking about sex, but yeah, you know, you're right. Which is. <laughs> Which I love about you, but, <laughs> but I mean, you can't re- re- repress people. Period. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's how shit happens. Right. I guarantee you. I I one hundred percent guarantee you. If we were like prostitution is legal, porn, do whatever the fuck you want. Hey, you know what? You're a woman. It's fucking tough in the workplace to you know whatever, and you want to you know do porn or shoot for fucking Playboy or just. Sell pussy, like, do it. Yeah. I bet you if it was – because the attitude in Amsterdam is just like, oh, yeah, she works in the window, like, whatever, you know? No one gives a fuck. Yeah, girls do it to, like, put themselves through college and nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. I bet without that, a lot of the alcoholism and the addiction and stuff would would, – a lot of that wouldn't be – it wouldn't be as big of a problem, Mm -hmm. you know? Amsterdam doesn't have a big drug problem. No, which no, which is which funny, is funny w- which is funny because like, you you think it would, but yeah. pot's legal and they don't have a big drug problem and like they have a bus that has methadone that comes yes. around and people can line up and get methadone and stuff. Yeah. And and they have safe places to like dispose of your needles. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, look, man, if you have people doing drugs like we're not going to stop it. Yeah. You're not going to stop people getting loaded. Right. You're just not. And criminalizing it just fills the prisons and creates a stigma that makes people feel like they can't get help when when they they're ready to and when they need help. Yeah. And even even if the if if, if the prison system said, "Hey, you know what? 80, I think it's 80, I don't know. It's 80 something percent of all prisoners are there on drug charges." Right. You know. Hey, you know what? Let's get them some help. Yeah. You know, but it, it's it's that's that's a whole other thing. In we, itself. we get but, so many things to bitch about. This is great. But it's true because. <laughs> it, it, but I mean, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that surrounds this stuff. Yeah. You know, there yeah. really is, and I think. Um and and even that being said, the treatment business, which I am part of, the treatment industry, I own a treatment facility. It fucking sucks. Yeah. What do you find to be the most difficult or challenging thing about that? I think the most difficult and challenging thing is that there are so many treatment facilities that are trying to just 
like they're like fucking Ponzi schemes and just trying to get rich quick and um we talking uh, about like the places that say they can cure addiction without the 12 oh, step method those places are those places like, are just they're just bananas it's yeah. like we can cure you yeah just you know I go like, to Waco and join some like David Koresh church like <laughs> fuck those people you know? <laughs> but I think because it's such big business right now and um there's so much money to be made like yeah. It's it's a business, you mm-hmm. know, and the the treatment industry, it's a shitty business because there's not many places that actually give a fuck. There's places that just want to take your money, you yeah. know, and on the flip side of that is there's now uh, people who are looking for treatment or people who have insurance that are just living off their insurance going from treatment center to treatment center to treatment center to treatment center to treatment center. center. Right. And it's, it's, it's a fucking ugly business. It's, it's a hard business to be in, you know, it, it burns you out. Like I'll say this out of, out of, I mean, working in the adult industry, working in, um, conflict photography, working in the music industry, you know, all that stuff. I think the, the most discouraged I have felt about humanity in general, even covering conflict in Syria and covering conflict in Gaza, is through the treatment industry. That Yeah, it's got to be so heartbreaking when you have people who come in, you know, for help and and you can't help them. Because the thing is, is that, you know, and I've had people ask me, like, oh, I've got a boyfriend or a son or a mother or something that needs to get sober. You know, how did how did you do it? You know, what can I do to help them get sober? And the thing is, is that sobriety is not for those who need it. It's for those who want it. And there's a lot of people who will never get sober, no matter how much you want them to, no matter how how much they have going for them, no matter how much they have to offer the world, it just won't happen. And that's like the saddest thing. It's sad. And I, I've kind of like released myself from from um, being responsible for anybody else's sobriety in the sense of like, hey, man, you're going to have your experience. But I try, I try to explain to people. It's just like anything else. Like if, if you if you if you want it, you've got to do some fucking footwork to get it, mm-hmm. you know. Like, if you just sit on the couch all day and don't ever leave your house, like, no one's just going to knock on your door and fucking offer you a job or offer yeah. or, or whatever. Like, like there's some sort of footwork involved in it. And and, and the thing with with um, with treatment and, and with getting help, a lot of people is, is it's one of those things. It's not like, uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to get help for you before you actually want help. Right. You know, and there's all these ultimatums put over your head. Like, Holly, mm-hmm. if you don't get sober, we're going to cut off your trust fund. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, my God, I better do that. But And you're like, wow, that's not reason enough. Right. You know, it's it's fucking wild, man. It's it's wild. And it and it, and it sucks. And it's fucking it's it's really it's it, it it is hard. But I'll tell you this. The the reward of actually like achieving sobriety and being sober and going through life sober, it's, it's fucking amazing. It is. It really is. It is. Like, and, and I, and I, and, and I mean, you know me, I am not that like corny mm-hmm. dude at all. Yeah. I am, I am not the guy, I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, yeah, just get sober and everything for the rest of your life is just going to be baby laughter and 
fucking unicorn jumping over rainbows or something like that. <laughs> because it's just not. Right. It's, it's not. Like, yeah, life happens. Yeah, you're going to get sober and guess what? You're going to go through breakups. You're going to get fired. Your friends are going to die and, you know, yeah. like shit's going to happen. But but I think going through that um, with being sober and actually going through that and act or, or trying to take that experience to help someone else, it uh, like that's what takes away all the shame and stuff. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first got sober, you know, and, and I was just like that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life getting sober. The hardest thing. It was just like this long climb out of a black fucking hole and once I achieved sobriety I just felt like god I can do anything you know yeah. the, the self-confidence it, it gave me was great and then I guess I don't know maybe it gave me too much self-confidence because you know then seven years later the thing the funny thing was is that my relapse seven years later was an accident so I was actually on a job in Costa Rica I was shooting for twisties and um, I accidentally ate an edible. Like, I don't know. Like, they were serving desserts. It was this party that I went to. And it's funny because everybody else that I went with was huge stoners. So everybody had been high the whole time. So, like, nobody else, like, really felt the effects of this dessert. But I hadn't put anything in my system for seven years. So I definitely felt it. You're hammered. Oh. So, like, it, it wasn't. It was strong enough for me that it freaked me out, but it wasn't like so insane that like I lost my mind, you know. And so I, I would can... lose my mind. I, I'll tell you this, hands down, the the drug that affects me the gnarliest, the hardest drug that just fucking I cannot deal with, is pot. Yeah. See, I was a huge pothead it's too. too. Pot gnarly. and alcohol, it's, like for my, for my like crutches. No way. It is too fucking gnarly. <laughs> it's just so, like, I can't, I just want to hide and be in the closet with, <laughs> like, eight Domino's pizzas or something. It's just, like, free, it's, it's too gnarly. Well, here's me. the funny thing, right? So, okay, so I, I feel the effects of this drug, and I, I freak out, and I get into my room, and I call my sober sister, who I had gone to rehab with, Kathy, and, um, and I tell her what happened. And she's like, you know, you're good. You didn't know, you know, it was accidental. Like, you didn't lose your time. Um, and that's another thing that I had, like, this obsession with time, as you know. You know, once I lost those seven years, it was like I was just so angry that I had to start all over again because, again, like, the ego wrapped up in the time and, you know, and the accomplishment. And, and, and there was so, you know... There was so much there that losing my sobriety made me recognize were issues that I hadn't addressed before. So, um, and, and you know, she, she kind of calmed me down. She's like, you know, when you get back, we'll go to some meetings, blah, blah, blah. You'll be fine. I'm like, okay, great. I hang up with her and I go out and I like find a joint. I purposely go look for pot because I know it's all over the house. And I just started, and I just smoked like on my own, like everyone else had gone to bed. After I'd just like been so upset that I had accidentally ingested this this, this five minutes pot. later, you're just chilling in Costa Rica, smoking a joint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And I felt terrible, freaked me out, paranoia set in. And I went into my room and tripped out for like seven hours on my own, had a horrible experience. So then like, you know, um, whatever the shoot goes on, everything's fine. I, uh, and several months go by and I don't touch anything and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm good. And I didn't tell anyone about that purposeful smoke afterwards because I was like, if I don't tell anybody, then I don't have to give up my time. And, you know, I don't want to give up seven years. Mm. I don't want to tell people that I'm a newcomer, blah, blah, blah. And so 
Ego, ego, ego. Oh, ego, absolutely. Ego, ego. So like all these months go by and I'm like, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I'm like, oh, this is fine. This is good, right? And this is like the funny thing about, you know, God and the universe. And I was raised an atheist. So one of the things that really drove me away from AA in the beginning was all the talk about God. Like that, I used to walk out during the Lord's Prayer because I was like, fuck this shit. Like, I don't believe in this stuff. And it's something that I still struggle with. And I'm definitely like, the word God still kind of makes me uncomfortable sometimes. It depends on the frame of mind that I'm in. Um, So, (laughs) but like life is funny the way that it challenges you and the way that it brings your your faults and your defects and it throws it in your face mm. over and over again until you fix it, until yeah. you solve that problem. So I was doing laundry as I, as I do for my shoots and I give the girls robes when they're in makeup. And, um, one of the girls had left a big bag of pot in the pocket of one of the robes. Shocking. And you know, and so I, I take it out and I look and I literally thought to myself, this was my thought. It was like, well, God wants me to smoke this. Of course he does. Because all of a sudden you weren't an atheist yeah, anymore. All of a sudden, all, all of a sudden it was, a, it was a, yeah, you went from atheism to <laughs> a gift from God in like five seconds. Right. You're the fucking best. <laughs> you are the best. So I smoke it and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm like, I'm just going to smoke a little bit and I'm going to throw the bag away. Of course, I don't. I smoke the whole bag. And then I'm like, okay, then I'm done, right? And I finish it. And again, like, I don't. And then I end up working with another model who had a fucking weed farm and just brought, like, cans of weed to the shoot and handed them out to people. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take one for my boyfriend who smokes pot, but I don't smoke pot. And I smoked that. And then, and then you know, and weed's legal now, right? Yeah. So then I go and I get in a card and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to smoke pot. I'm not going to drink. Like, this is okay. I can manage it. Oh, and I also- You go and you get your card. Yeah, I go and I get my card, but I'm like, I'm just going to smoke pot. I'm not going to drink because it was drinking that brought me to my What was knees, the reason right? you got the card? Just out of curiosity. So that I could buy pot. I know, but what was what was your medical condition? Because you oh anxiety or something. Yeah, I don't know. I let, sec- the, I let the doctor tell me what it was. Yeah, two seconds ago, you're like, because weed is legal. It's kind of like, eh, well, yeah. it's kind of like- it's legal if you have some sort of medical condition. Well, we all know that it's not hard to get it. Yeah. Like, it's uh, uh, Yeah. I just went there and the doctor's like, so you have problems sleeping? I'm like, sure. He's like, okay, here you go. I'm like, thanks. Which is, which is you shouldn't even have to do that. The, the point is, you shouldn't even have to do that. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, you shouldn't even have to go see a doctor. You should just be able to go to 7-Eleven and just go, hey, dude, I'll take uh Big bite, one of those shitty looking fucking pizzas, <laughs> four of those, uh, four orders of those chicken wings, and that one thing that's in the tortilla that rolls, <laughs> it's been rolling there for like three days. Throw a couple of those in a bag, give me a two liter bottle of fucking cherry crush, a pack of Marlboros, and an eighth of indica. <laughs> well, apparently now in January, you're going to be able to do that. So, yeah, like in a couple of weeks, you will. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I always felt that pot should be legal, too, because I it's, thought that it's just, you know, people are going to get it anyways. And look, I don't have anything against pot or alcohol. I just cannot take them. Yeah, like, it affects me in a terrible way. I don't have anything. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. It's just like I can't take it. No, pot's way too fucking gnarly for me. That's <laughs> the only thing. Like, I, like I, I hate pot, like, personally, because I can't deal yeah, with it. I like, loved it, man. I loved it. I, I love that shit. I had this girlfriend that would, like... I loved the fact that she could just like smoke pot and do stuff. I know. Here's the thing. Okay, like we were, we were talking about jujitsu earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, there's 
there's like kind of two types of jujitsu guys. There's the guys that are like, you know, like super, like, you know, I don't want to say super healthy lifestyle, but you know, they train hard, they try and be healthy and, you know, and they try and live this like healthy lifestyle. Then there's dudes like Joe Rogan who leads this healthy lifestyle and shit, but the dude smokes a ton of fucking weed. Yeah. And these dudes like smoke weed, do jujitsu, smoke weed, just like hang out, smoke weed, go telecast the fucking UFC or something. Yeah. Like, I'm so mad at them for being able to do that. I I couldn't do it. There's no fucking way. When I was smoking pot a lot, I could definitely function on it well, but not nearly as well as them. I would still forget shit. Like, it definitely slowed me down 100%. But I could function in a way that I couldn't function on alcohol, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, I thought to myself, I'm like, I'll just smoke weed. And then, you know, eventually it got to the point where it just wasn't giving me fucked up enough. And then... And then vodka which, came back which, in, yeah. and vodka was at the door, and it was like, hi, remember me? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll let you in. I'll just have, like, one of you. And then, sure enough, a few months later, it's I'm fucking right back to where I started. Yeah. And I'm just, like, dying of shame. I'm I'm so... I, I'm just trapped getting... I remember my, my the You're thought, getting fucked by the gorilla. I'm getting fucked by the gorilla. And I remember my and first... And it's not like... It's not... No, it's not good. No, it's no. not good. It's not like, <laughs> hey, this is kind of rad. It's like, yeah, no, this fucking sucks. And I remember the first thought that ran in, that came into my head when I when I took that first sip of vodka, was like, "This tastes like prison." Wow! Because I knew that I was trapped again, yeah, and I was no longer free. Because the great thing about me, for me, being sober is is being free, and being able to actually make decisions over, you know, not drinking. Whereas no. before, I just. And again, like to people who don't have a problem with addiction, um, this is impossible to understand. But when I'm drinking, I don't have a choice. I can't not drink. Yeah. I, I, just I mean, that's, and, and that's alcoholism, like I said earlier, like by definition. Yes. We lose, we lose the ability to control our drinking. You know? Yeah. We lose the ability to, to control our intake of Roxy's. We lose the ability to control our intake of Norco's or Oxycontin or heroin or whatever it is. And I think, you know, I, I th- the the more we bullshit ourselves by telling us it's like quicksand, you know, like, oh, wait, I can get myself out of this. The more you fucking struggle, the more you try and pull yourself out of it, mm-hmm. you know, you just sink, sink deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you're like, hey, man, throw me that rope and pull me the fuck out of this. Yeah. You know, and and. I, I know it's a, it's a bit of a corny analogy, but it's like until we ask for help. And for me, I found so much relief in asking for help, like after 18 years, mm-hmm. you know, because I was trying as hard as I could to keep it together. But then, you know, once there's a bunch of fire trucks and ambulances and shit and they're shooting you up with Narcane and fucking giving you the paddles, the defibrillator and all that shit, like the cat's kind of out of the bag, like, oh, Josh is loaded. <laughs> You know, and you're getting taken out on a stretcher and you're fucking naked and have a ton of socks on. Like, (laughs) which is. (laughs) So so tell us why you're naked and have all these socks on again. I lived in this. I lived in this old bungalow, this old Hollywood bungalow that's gone now. It fucking kind of sucks because they're uh, tearing down everything in Hollywood. But it was this old bungalow that was built in the 20s and it had hardwood floors. And I would just. When you're really high on cocaine, like, shit's loud. The volume of the world gets turned up, and you just kind of assume that everyone else can hear. Like, like, 
like corduroy is loud. I don't know why I would be wearing corduroy <laughs> yeah, anyway. Like, but you don't look like a corduroy no, wear. No, yeah, my fucking bell bottom cords are just like <laughs> really loud. But even denim's loud. Like everything's loud. So the only thing you can do is get naked. But now you're naked in this 1920s Hollywood bungalow <laughs> with hardwood floors that creak. So you put on all the socks and you just slide around like Gumby. And it was I. I had this. I had this. I had this. I had this girl. I had this girl from from. This is a true story. This is so fucking embarrassing. So I'm I'm high as fuck, and I just want some company. So I don't know. I'm not like pumping up arrows or whatever the fuck they're called. But anyways, so I have this girl come over, and I'm just like, look, man, I just want to just come over, hang out. I'll give you whatever you want. You know, you want to get like I had so much shit at that point. I had fucking tons of pills and tons of blow and tons of, I had any fucking thing you wanted. And, and she's like, oh, fuck, cool, man. I'm on my way. And so she's like, I'll be there. I'm like, don't even worry about like, you could come in fucking sweats. Like you don't have to, you don't have to do your makeup. You don't have to like, just like, this is the easiest job ever. <laughs> she shows up and I answer the door butt-ass fucking naked <laughs> with all these socks on. <laughs> oh, man. And she just, I remember she looked me dead in the eye and just said, what the fuck? And turned around and walked away. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, man. Like, that, for, for me, I was like, what the fuck? Like. Yeah. <laughs> the whores are even like, you oh, suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you can, yeah. That's, that's pretty bad. It was, it was, it was, it was it was fucking bad, but so then okay, so so then you get sober again. So tell us, you got so, your friends flew you out to New York, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a really bad episode, and and I called and I asked for help, and my friends flew me out to New York, and my friend Phil and Charlie Bot picked me up, and uh, and they took me to a meeting, and I I don't know. I hate saying I hate being one of those like corny AA guys because mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. But the experience is the experience, you right. know. And I and I walked in and I honestly felt like this huge like weight kind of lift off me. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I was going to be okay. Now, and I mean, and thank God I've been I've I've been sober ever since. But that that first, you know. I think my first like 90 days was so fucking hard because I was just terrified that tomorrow was going to be the day that I relapsed. Mm-hmm. Like I was I was I completely convinced myself that like I'm I blew my chance. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had my 18 years, that was my chance and I fucked it off and now I'm going to be one of those guys that was sober for a long time and just cannot get sober again. Right. You know, and I'm not I'm not a uh, you know, I'm not y- – yes, people do die from this disease and death is a very horrible thing. But for me, um, it's no, it's not a deterrent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, hey, man, you got to stop doing all that shit or you're going to fucking die. You, you get to a certain point in your alcoholism and in your addiction where you're like – it's welcoming. You're like, fuck, great. Yeah. Like it's an out. Yeah. You know? And – um I honestly had this fear, like I, 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 and I'll never forget it. I, I, I was laying in bed, and I was like, I know how this ends. 
Like, I know how this ends. I'm going to be the last, like, the lone survivor. Like, I'm going to outlive everybody. And I'm going to outlive everybody living this Groundhog Day addiction. Like, just not being able to get back. But knowing that there is something that's so fucking awesome out there, and I just fucked it up. Like, I thought it was just another thing that I just fucked up, you yeah. know, and that and that it was gone and that, you know, like, I missed my chance. It was, you know, like, the love of your life just walked out. And, and, and by your doing, which is also common experience for me, but whatever. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's, another, that's another story. Me and relationships are fucked. But, but um, you know, and, and I just really, really honestly thought that that was it. And I had that fear. And I, and I like, you know, and I, I cried myself to sleep. And I'm not a crier. I'm not like a big cried person. Cry person. Cry baby. Yeah, cry baby. <laughs> You're like, cry person. <laughs> <laughs> and not and not for any and not because like oh a man or anything yeah. like that. I mean, it's just it's just uh I give no soul. Yeah. <laughs> I have no soul and I'm just fucking completely just a heartless scumbag. No, I just I, I have a I have a hard time crying. As embarrassing as it sounds, the shit that I cry over now is like ridiculous. Like my son, like my grandson being born, mm-hmm. I was like a fucking wreck. My son getting married. I was a wreck and it was so embarrassing because I started, he was like, he was walking down the aisle with his wife and they were kissing. There's this picture of them kissing and I've like got my hand over my face <laughs> and I'm crying and I'm the only one crying. Aww. Like everyone else is standing there. They're like, oh my, everyone had that, that expression, that, oh, expression. Like, yeah. they're just like, oh my God, it's so cute. I'm just crying like a bitch. Just fuck. But I think that you, what I would imagine is you probably have a deep well of emotion, but very few things touch it. And when they do, they really do. Yeah. And I also think when you see some, uh, there, when you see some, when you see things in life that you can't unsee, it it hardens you. Yeah. You know. And yeah. It, and it makes it it makes it harder. It makes it harder to cry. Like we were, uh, I, I was talking to Ernie out there, and I, and I was like, I'm looking at this picture. There's some ama- for those of you who haven't been in the studio, <laughs> there's, there's some great photography of, of, you know, Afghani Taliban guys or and Mujahideen guys or something. And, and really, really, really powerful photos. But, uh, when you've, when you've seen stuff in that type of, in that, that part of the world, just the poverty level alone kind of hardens you, you know? And when you've worked in that area, like I have, it, it kind of hardens you. And, and it kind of sucks because it's like there, it, I do, there, there are times when I do want to uh, be more compassionate or I think like, oh, I don't feel enough mm-hmm. or whatever. But, you know. Um, well, this is kind of a perfect segue for you to talk about your time as a conflict photographer because you've got some pretty incredible stories there and I loved how you kind of tied it all into your sobriety too when I first heard you speak. It, I mean, I I think like anything when when you're it's the analogy that I I use is like and I don't know if this happens to everybody and I just kind of tell people this and no one's ever said like no that doesn't happen to me. But like whenever I I I 
I like, I'm going to buy a new car, right? I, would, I, I just got a new car. And I wanted this truck. The minute I said I wanted the truck, I see them fucking everywhere, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the minute you're like kind of open to something and you, and I think it's just, you, you start to see it when we open this stuff. And, and when, um, when you're kind of, uh, when, when you're open to the message of just, I don't know if it's spirituality or sobriety or recovery or whatever it is, you're just, you kind of hear things uh, a different way and you can, and you can find that almost in any situation. I know the story that you're talking about. All right. That's the one you want. <laughs> so, okay. You're so like, I'm just leading you down yeah. this path. And I'm trying to, I'm trying. I've to heard, like, I've seen you speak like what, like three times. Yeah. There was a time that I felt like you're groupy almost. I was like going to all like, the, I was like, oh God, this is too much. So then when I got you to speak at the Palisades meeting for my friend Kathy, I'm like, I'm not going to that one because I'm going to seriously start to look like some crazy fangirl. It's like embarrassing. Yeah, that was weird. And you said that you're like, I'm not going because I don't, I'm like, you're my friend. Like, just show up. I you know. fucking weirdo. I know. And I sent you to like the biggest meeting in LA too. I was so too. pissed. It was like, <laughs> I was so hot and so sweaty. And then when they're like, yeah, and kind of watch the cussing. I was like, I, I should, I should just leave. Yeah, I can't. I'm actually surprised that they said that. I guess I'm not surprised. It's kind of like a hoity-toity meeting. Yeah, it's the meeting I got sober in. But I dropped is... a cocksucker on him, and it was like, <laughs> well, but see, but Kathy called me afterwards because so my girlfriend Kathy was secretary of the meeting at the time. She actually passed away this summer, which was one of the worst experiences I've I've gone through. Like the week after I spoke. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was <sighs> fucking awful. Um, but anyway, she called me afterwards and she was literally in tears and she was like, and I thought something went wrong. I was like, Oh God, what did Josh do? <laughs> and, uh, and she was like, he was so incredible. She's uh. like, I can't thank you enough. Cause you were one of her very, she just started being a secretary there and she was under a lot of pressure to get good speakers. Cause a lot of celebrities go and speak at that meeting who I'm obviously not going to name, but, um, so she was under a lot of pressure to get good speakers, and she had never met you. She just like went, like took my word for it, and um, and she was like, he was so fucking incredible. She's mm. like, I cannot believe how amazing she was, and she said, I had people like old timers, you know, that have been at that meeting for thirty years, who came up to her afterwards and said he was one of the best speakers we have ever had. Wow, like great. for real. <sighs> I hate, okay. Yeah. You'll never be able to get out your uh, get out the door now with how big I'm going to make your head. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's I don't know. I hate doing it, but 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 I do it, and I I you know it's like anything else. Like I, I hate doing it, but I'll show up and I will do it, and I will like do. Uh, I'll give it my best. Yeah. You know? But I hate doing I hate doing most anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, if we're see, just being honest, like, it's like, fuck. <laughs> I don't, I don't, this is why do I shit. think you're good, though, because I think a lot of times, you know, in AA, I've been to obviously a lot of meetings. I've been in the program for over 10 years. And you just get a lot of, I mean, look, you get all kinds of people. And that's what's the one of the good things and one of kind of shitty things about Alcoholics Anonymous is that you get all kinds of people. So, um, but you do often get a lot of people who just deliver this very kind of, I don't know, there's been, there's been quite a few meetings that I've been to where I'm just like, I hear the speaker and I'm like, if this was my first meeting ever, I would never come back. Cause I would be like, this is what it's about. This is bullshit. And this is why 
they say, you know, there's no authorities in Alcoholics Anonymous because different people speak a truth to different people. Yeah. And, um, you know, what, what to, like, I can see one person speak and be like, oh my God, fuck that bullshit. You know, there's such like a Jesus freak or they're, you know, like I, I remember I went to a meeting once and the guy was like, if you do not read the big book, you will die. He literally <laughs> said that. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Like some people get so like it's- angry in particular about a certain thing. And, and the problem is, is that I think what a lot of people don't recognize in the program is that everybody has their own journey. And the only requirement for being an Alcoholics Anonymous is a desire to stop drinking. That's it. So it attracts everything. Yes. So it attracts all sorts of people. Right. You know. And but I would like at the beginning, like people would be like, oh, you need to do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, you won't make it because that was their experience. Well, your experience is not somebody else's experience. And you're kind of like this anti-AA guy, yeah. which is why I felt like I related to you a lot because it's easy to go into a meeting and just hear the same old regurgitated bullshit all over and over again, especially if you don't want to be there and you don't want to be open to the message and, and you and you think it's cheesy and you think it's a cult and you think like all these people are fucking weird. Yeah. And going up and seeing someone like you speak who's – the opposite of what you would expect. And who points out all that shit. And because it is out. fucking weird. Yeah. It is fucking weird. There was things that you said that I was like, thank God. Because like one of the things that made me crazy, especially after I relapsed, you know, people would say, just would, don't drink no matter what. Yeah, and I'm like, but, but, but I can't stop drinking. And if, made, I could do, if I could do that, I wouldn't need to be here. That's exactly what place. you said. Like, yeah. And I was like, thank God. Because like people would say that to me, they're like, just don't drink no matter what. I'm like, but I can't stop drinking. That's why I'm here. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. How, how do I do How do I do that? Right. You know, and I, uh, uh, when people do that, I, 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 it drives me crazy. But, I mean, look, it's, it's a room full of fucking bananas. <laughs> everyone's just fucking bananas. And I don't know. I, I, and, I, like, I had a really, really hard time. I have and I still have a really hard time with those people. Like, you have to do this. Or this will happen. I'm just like, dude, let me spell it out for you. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. And and, and I don't – I just don't operate that way. And I don't know people who operate that way. And I'm just like, hey, man, if you want – if, like, this is what I do, try that. If it doesn't work, fuck, go do what Holly does. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Or just – but I'm not going to tell you, like, the – I'm not even going to tell you, like, if you drink, you're going to die. You might not. Yeah. You might be the dude that outlives everyone and lives yeah. that alcoholic life. Or you could be for the, the person. You life. could be the person. I mean, I know people that were going through like some kind of phase or whatever and they were drinking too much and then they like went to meetings and they were sober for a while and then they went and drank again and they're like kind of normal now. They're fine. Yeah. They're fi- yeah. like we don't know we don't we don't know what the fuck is going to happen. Right. You know. And the only and thing that we can do is speak from our own experience. Speak from your own experience and and have your own experience. Right. And more importantly, allow people to have their own experience. Yes. Like I think, you know, a lot – like no one wants to be governed. Uh, and and I think especially for people that are new, people that are new come in with so many misconceptions about mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous and so many misconceptions about the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think, you know, that that's – for me, that's my focus. Like I want I – want, when I speak and when I go to meetings, I want – like you, I want people to go like, 
okay, cool. At least there's one dude that at least points out the craziness. Like, yeah, it's fucking weird. What do we do? We show up with a bunch of strangers. We talk about all of our feelings and we share our experience with people. And then we all get in a fucking circle and hold hands and chant. Like, <laughs> it's fucking weird, Yeah, when dude. you put it out on paper, it's totally weird. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. But it fucking works. Like, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, <laughs> and Holly can attest to this. I am not the AA poster child. No. You know? And like, that's another thing, too, that I think is also, because people will say to me, you know, if I say something about Alcoholics Anonymous, they're like, wait, aren't you not supposed to say anything about it? And so, okay, so here from my experience, this is the whole thing with the anonymity of the program. First of all, it allows people who want to be anonymous to be anonymous, right? So if you're in some high-powered position in your job or you don't want your family to know or your friends, whatever, like it should afford people who want to remain anonymous, anonymous. It should be a safe place that people can get sober. Number two is that it's really important that no one person positions themselves, as you say, like the poster child for AA. Because the problem is, is that, and this was kind of like what I went through after my relapse, you know, where I got sober and then I got some time under my belt and I kind of imagined, you know, I fancied, I mean, I didn't really go out around and speak that much, but, you know, I was like, I am kind of like this exemplary um, example of sobriety, you know, and you should look up to me because... But Look what at happens, what I went through. But what happens if you relapse? Exactly. Then anyone, then everyone who hasn't been to AA goes, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Look what happened to her. Yeah. And that, and that is why it is so important that no one person sets themselves up as a representative for the program because we're and all flawed be? human beings. Yeah, and who wants to be? Because there are some total fucking dickheads in yes, AA. Yes, there absolutely are. Like there are some people that just fucking suck. Yeah. And I, I – I know people like it. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that, but why? It's true. It's like yeah. you suck, and we're just pointing out the fact that you fucking suck as a, yeah. as a human. Yes, and it's like sick people are going to AA, yes. you know, and some some recover and some don't. But it's it's you know it's an it's an it's an it's an amazing program. If it has helped me and countless others. It's an amazing program, but what is the issue with the program is, is with all organize, organized, I don't want to say religion is the wrong word, but organized groups of whatever is that it's filled with people and people are flawed and people are imperfect and people are going to twist it into whatever fits their own agenda or fits yeah. what they, they believe it should be. And that that happens with AA as well. But the principles of the program is what tries to protect itself from that. That's why there's no authorities in AA. That's why there's no president of AA. That's why, you know, you don't go out necessarily and, you know, put yourself in media as like the chairman of AA. Like, it, you know, it's it's. The principles of the program is is what the program is. What you make of it is your own journey. Yeah, and there's people. There's 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 also the misconception. A lot like, you know, Christianity and and Islam and uh, Buddhism and and whatever any any sort of spiritual path or religious path. A lot of it, people think that a lot of it, oh, man, it's just open to interpretation. It's like, well, actually, no, it's kind of not. That's the thing. It's like, no, you can't just say like, oh, this suits me here, you know, and a lot of people say a lot, a lot of people say wrong shit about AA, and it's just the truth, you know, that, that they go, well, you know, it's it's progress, not perfection. It's like, no, actually, that's 
half of what it says. It says we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection, which means like we're not God, man. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be better people and we're trying to move in a more selfless direction. You know, it, right. and it, it doesn't mean like it, I just had this conversation with someone. They're like, well, you know, it's like it's all it's all about it's all about, you know, God and it's all about Jesus and it's all about, and I go, well, what is God? You know, what is it? Because I had to ask someone this question too, because I was a little freaked out. I was like, yeah. oh, you guys are kind of heavy handed on the God thing. And it's just like, I get it. Like we all need an imaginary friend, but like <laughs> one who's like going to damn me to hell and blah, blah, blah. like that dude's a bummer. Like I don't want that imaginary <laughs> friend. I want the imaginary friend that like we talk shit and we look at girls' tits and, and we do like we do like cool shit, you know, whatever. Maybe touch our peepees and not tell each other or wh- whatever, you know. Like I, I want, I want the, I want the cool imaginary friend, but, but, <laughs> but Ernie's. Just, you know what's funny too is that Ernie's hungover today. So I told him I'm like you're gonna really enjoy this podcast. <laughs> I, I love it. I love, fucker showed up. If I was hungover, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, I know but, exactly. You know. Um, it's okay to be hungover. It doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, and I'm definitely not one of those people. Like, I hate yeah. when people are like, "Oh my god," you know. I don't. I don't want to drink around you. I'm like, fucking drink, man. Yeah. That's like, it's none of my business what you do. Yeah. You know, it's none of my business. Like, the worst is though is that what I hate is when people get drunk around me and then they come to me like. Am I an alcoholic? I'm like, oh great, here we go. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. This is like your life, your decision. Like, I yeah. am not, I am not the authority. Give them one of those corny ass questionnaires. Like, here's yeah. the questionnaire. Maybe like, you just take carry that, around in my you purse. Drunk bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, am I an alcoholic? Yes, call an ambulance. <laughs> like, it's a self-diagnosed disease, right. which is so gnarly. Yeah. You know, because it's self-diagnosed. Like, I don't know, man, if you're an alcoholic. Yeah. I don't know if you're an addict. Yeah, your lips are burned up and you have no money and you suck a lot of dick for small <laughs> hits of crack. But I don't know if you're an <laughs> you know, It's up to you. Like, I don't know. You know? Oh, my God. Okay, so we totally so, went off topic, by okay. the way. Of what was We were topic? supposed to talk about your, your fucking oh, conflict yeah. photography. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, this whole fine. podcast okay. is supposed to be about sobriety, so I guess it's not a bad thing that we keep circling back to it. I don't know. I'm just talking. Okay. The I like email, it. I like the, it when you talk. The email. <laughs> said that you can say whatever you want. The email that I got said it's just an organic conversation. It is an organic conversation. So. Do you like my use of the word organic? I like that word. That's my big word for the year, organic. Ugh, I use it all like, the time. Yeah. I need more big words, though. Everything's organic. <laughs> Everything. It's like I'm, I'm over it. I don't believe it. I don't believe in organic. <laughs> Well, apparently in the U.S., like you... Organic standards are very low. Yeah. Like you only have to have not had pesticides for like the last six months of like yeah. the plant's life to be organic. Yeah. But you could have totally been grown on GMOs and all yeah. that kind of stuff, I guess. I don't know. Anyways. I fucking went and got grapes the other day. I don't know. You may have seen it on my Instagram. Probably didn't. I got... I, I went and I, bought, I was at the store and I, bought, I love grapes. I don't know why. I, I love grapes too. Yeah. I bought grapes. these. I bought these grapes. These things were the size of fucking golf balls. Like, I swear to God, it was so, it was so gnarly. <laughs> and I bought them and I was sitting there and I was like, I mean, they were so big, like you eat two and you're like full. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like food coma full. Like, yeah. just like, oh, fuck, I got to yeah. button my pants and take a nap. <clears throat> but it, it, it was, it was wild. And it was, that was like, I remember I was, I was eating it and I was kind of like, 
this is like some gnarly GMO shit. Like, this is just not right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where what my point was with that. But <laughs> um, So anyways, I was working as, as a conflict photographer um, in, in the Middle East, and I was in a place called Rojava. Uh, Rojava's... No one's ever heard of fucking Rojava, but there's a lot of Kurdish people in, in Rojava, and it's it's uh, it's right between uh, southern Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. And I was doing a story on uh, the snipers for the YPG, which is the Kurdish army, and they use they use females as snipers because they say females have more patience than men, and so it makes them better snipers and. These chicks are fucking deadly. They're so gnarly, and it's so attractive. <laughs> but <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds it, hot. It is, and it's just like it would almost be worth getting killed for having sex with you just to have sex with you. <laughs> but, but, um, so I was doing this story on them, and, and um, anyways, uh, the story with the. We we were done. We were leaving Rojava. We actually had to get out of Rojava because um, where we were was kind of being overrun by ISIS. And they and apparently they heard that uh, there was an American journalist there. And so they were also looking for me. And they were, it, was, it was one of those things. It's like, hey, we have to go. And I'm like, okay, cool. When? And they're like, right now. So we left and we were trying to sneak. Uh, we we're crossing the border back into Turkey, back into southern Turkey. And it was the middle of the night, and it was me and my fixer, and uh, this. Explain little, to me what a fixer is. A fixer is is uh, like part translator, part. Um, they they can get you in all the places that you could like smuggler. Like, no, not no, not a smuggler, but they can get you in. Like they can get you in with like the YPG. Like you can't just go up and just go like, hey guys, I want to roll with the Kurdish army and do the, like. They have all the relationships, Got you it. know, to, to, to get you in places. They fix things for you. Got it. Um, mainly fix uh, relationships. Um, and, and, you know, every, they're, everyone needs them. And, and it's, it's weird because the majority of them are really good. Um, oh, there's actually a, a, a documentary on Netflix called The Fixer, and it's about, um, it's about a, an Afghani fixer who, okay. ends, who ends up getting – beheaded by the Taliban for, for working with someone. But so anyways, we're, uh, we're coming back across the border and into Southern Turkey and it's me and my fixer and the, the guy who actually is the smuggler to get us across the border. And he's, he's like a 50, he's like 15 or 16, this little kid. And we're crossing the border and all of a sudden the Turkish army opens fire on us. Like, at that point, when when you've been shot at enough, you know the difference between being shot at and being shot near. And we were definitely being shot at. Like tracer rounds were were close. It, it was it was it was terrifying. They were we're, trying to kill you, as opposed it, to trying to warn you. Yeah, right. I might, but but also it's like it's the middle of the night. Someone's crossing the border. Like, of course they're gonna fucking. We we knew like this is part of the deal. We thought they would try and scare us. Uh, because a lot of uh, ISIL does cross at that time, and there's mm-hmm. no there's no real there's no real border. I mean, mm-hmm. we jumped over a 
a string of bob wire that was like, you know, three and a half feet tall. Like you just kind of push it out of the way and, and, and you're in another country. Um, so we, we all dive behind this rock and we're sitting behind the rock and uh, my fixer just fucking melts down and uh, forgets to start speaking to me in Kurdish, yelling at me in Kurdish. And I don't fucking speak Kurdish like Kurdish people speak Kurdish and that's it. No one else speaks Kurdish. <laughs> Most people don't even know what a Kurd is. They're yeah. just like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Uh, um, and so he's fucking yelling at me and we're getting shot at and I'm going, what the fuck? And I start kind of getting freaked out because I'm like, if he's getting freaked out, it's got to be fucking bad. That's freaking me out. You're not doing a very good job of like whatever, keeping me calm and making me think like we're going to get out of here because you're so freaked out. You came and you've completely forgot how to speak a language. Yeah. And the little boy goes, or the kid, whatever, says, you, me, go. And I was like, got it. I'm on. Let's do it. And so we're running. And it's, it's, it's I mean, this it's the middle of the desert. There's no, like, real ambient light. There's no uh, street lights. There's no anything of that, anything like that. And we go tumbling. We, uh, we're, we're running. We go tumbling down this ravine. You know, we're like ass over tea kettle, like down this hill, because we were just kind of running, and the like, uh, uh, like like wily coyote, where mm-hmm. they're just kind of running, and the ground is just gone. It, yeah. it was like that. Yeah. So we're running. I have my kit on my back. I hit my fucking head on a rock. I'm like bleeding profusely out of my head because head wounds just bleed like crazy. We get up, we dust ourselves off, and we go walking off into the desert. And this van pulls up, and. Uh, it's the van that we were supposed to meet. It pulls up and it takes us to this little uh, makeshift gas station slash uh, bus stop, you know, where we, where we were going to catch a Darmouche back to uh, Gaziantep. Uh, so I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm sitting on the curb and I've, I've, I haven't showered in since God knows when. I'm covered in, in fucking mud and I'm covered in blood. I smell like shit. And this old man comes up and he sits next to me. And uh, this was also the night I started smoking again subsequently. I don't smoke anymore, but it was, I hadn't smoked in like 15 years. And I can see why you might need a cigarette. Yeah, I was like, I need a yeah. cigarette. Yeah. Uh, um, and he comes down and he, he, sits, he sits next to me. And he, says, uh, he says, brother, would you like some, some water? And I was like, yeah, I would. Thank you very much. And he gives me some water and he says, would you like some bread? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and those are like, I mean, in Rojava, like saying like, hey, would, do you, would you like this bottle of water is, is like me going like, hey, Holly, would you like this 29 karat diamond? Yeah. You know? It, Rare it's, commodity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm sitting there and he's like, he's like, brother, may I ask you something? And I go, I go, yeah, absolutely. He says, are, are, are you okay? And I was kind of like, no, man, I'm actually not okay. You know, I'm covered in fucking blood. I'm covered in mud. It's the middle of fucking night. I'm in somewhere, some town that I can't even fucking pronounce. The Turkish army just tried to fucking kill me. ISIS was looking for me. I, you know, I'm fucking starving. I'm thirsty. I'm, you know, whatever. Like, you know, and I was like, no, no, I'm not okay. And he goes, he goes, well, why not? And I was like, look at me, man. Like, what about this seems seems okay to you? And he says, 
brother, you have food and you have water and God loves us. What could not be okay? And I was like, all right, I'll play. I get it. You know, I go, the food and water thing, totally get it. Doesn't fall short with me. I totally get it. And you're, and you're right. Not only do I get it, but you're absolutely right. And I said, but the God loves me thing, I'm kind of having a hard time with that part. Like coming from where we came from, the, the mass genocide of an entire race of people that is happening, you having to flee your country where you have nothing, actually fleeing a place where you have nothing to another place with nothing to protect, you know, and leaving everything that, that you have behind. How Seeing what we saw and coming from where we just came from, how can you say that God loves us? And he says, because he left us alive to be better men tomorrow. And he says, right here, right now, everything, everything is okay. And I was just like, motherfucker. Because <laughs> he was right. Yeah. I he remember was. that was that was the story that got me when you told me yeah. that. I was like... You know, because I have such a problem living in the present. I'm always future tripping and I'm always projecting into the future and thinking, you know, and I'm never appreciating the moment and, and being grateful for what I have. Yeah. And I think that that's a case for so many of us. And it's, it's not even, it's a lot of the times, a lot of the times we miss what we have because we're either focused on a memory mm-hmm. of yesterday or the day before or whatever or we're focused on the future, which is basically make-believe, you know? <laughs> I mean, it really is. Yeah, like, we don't yeah. know We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you could just go like, I mean, you, you could really get to the point of going like, okay, this is going to happen and fuck it. Let me just throw Darth Vader in there and Yoda and like some spaceships and shit because it's all just made up anyways. Mm-hmm. You can kind of just do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. But while that's happening, you're missing this, mm-hmm. you know? You're missing the fact that you're actually okay. Yeah. Like right here, right now, wherever you're listening to this, you're okay. Right here, right now, where we're talking about this, I'm okay. You're okay. Ernie's hungover. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's corny as fuck, but it's true. You know, I wanted to argue with that old man. I really did. I was pissed. I was hurt. I was scared. I was fucking hungry. And it was like that dude saying that forever changed my perspective. Yeah. Probably more than anyone's saying anything in, in, in AA or any, you know, other sober conversation that I've had. Like that dude changed my perspective and the only reason my perspective was able to be changed because I was sober and open to that message yeah you know it's amazing the messages that I think the universe brings to us when we're when we're open and we're ready to receive them yeah you know and and when you can really see the lessons all around you that life's always trying to teach you yeah I think that is and that's what's become that's why you know my alcoholism has started off as 
like the biggest, you know, demon, the the greatest <clears throat> tragedy of my life, but then ended up being this like incredibly great blessing in a yeah. strange, twisted way. And that's what's so amazing about this journey, you know, something that started off as as something that was so horrible and that took so much from me and just in terms of like my sense of self, my self-confidence, um, my self-love, all of that. Sobriety gave that back to me in, in tenfold. And what it did is it forced me to stop and really like evaluate my life and, and look at everything in my life and look at, you know, um, all the reasons why I do the things I do. I mean, now, you know, I'm constantly checking my, um, my intent, you know, because yeah. a lot of times we do things and we tell ourselves, you know, I'm doing this because whatever. Um, but I really try to look at like my actual true intent as to why I'm, I'm um, doing things. Absolutely. And, and, and often uh, when I make mistakes and I do things that I later regret, it's because I was doing that thing for the wrong reason. And I can come up with all being kinds selfish. of, yeah, I can come up with all kinds of bullshit reasons as to why I was doing that. But in the end I knew what I was doing. Was yeah, wrong. totally. And it's, 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 you know, it's just. It's just being selfish, you know. And since since I had that conversation with that guy, it's like I really have focused on trying to be a better man. Like the th- th- that story didn't end there. Like you know, and and st- more stories like that. You know, it just kept going. Like mm-hmm. Syria got worse, Gaza got even fucking worse. I mean, it 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 just got to the point. Like all it it, it was awful. You know, uh, it 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 the not all of it was awful. Like the the ending of that was awful. Um, you know, finally to the point of where my my friend, uh, some shit went down in Gaza, and my cameras got broken, and all this shit happened. And my friend was just like, I, I called my friend. I was like, I don't know where any, they took all my shit. Like the IDF took everything from me. I don't have a credit card. I don't have fucking. I don't have anything. And she was just like, You're done. That's it. You're you're getting a ticket. We're fucking, you know, and she called my other friend. Actually, mm-hmm. the same friend that they flew me out to get sober with, my friend Phil. And oh, they wow. were and they were just like, Yeah, no, enough. You're coming home. And it was really hard adjusting. But that story stuck with me. And it's like, you know what? I want to be I actually thrive to be a better man. Yeah. You know, I thrive to be a better person. Like like I I try to I, I fall short a lot, but that intention is is always there and it doesn't happen uh it doesn't happen without sobriety like none of it happens like i really want to be i really want to be a good father to my son you know he's 25 and he is like he's so much more of a man than i am you know he's like uh he's a husband to his wife he's a father to his child he's just he's fucking awesome and i really want to be like everywhere that I fell short with him, I'm really trying to focus on my grandchild. I want to, not that I'm in a relationship or have anything that in my life that even resembles a fucking relationship, but I do want to be uh, a good man in that, you know? I'm no fucking angel, you know? When I was with Janine, oh, fuck. You can leave it in. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I doubt she's listening to this. No, she's definitely not listening to this. But, but when I was, yeah, it was like, it was, it was an ugly fucking relationship. And, it, and, and, and that's not even, and I, and that has nothing to do with her part. That's just like 
on on myself. Like I mm-hmm. was, I was along for the ride the whole fucking time, um, you know. But uh, and none of that none of that happens if I don't if I don't maintain my sobriety. Like, yeah, you know, everything goes out the window with it. Everything, and and I think that's the difference of where I am today as where I am to when I first came in. When you first come in and you're trying to get sober, it seems daunting. It mm-hmm. seems like... It's terrifying. It seems... It's absolutely terrifying, and it feels so impossible. And it yeah. feels like bullshit. Like, I remember people going up and taking, you know, cakes. And so so basically when people get, like, years of sobriety, one year, two year, three years, whatever... Usually to celebrate at a meeting, um, we'll give somebody a cake and, you know, sing them happy birthday. Like it's their natal birthday. I hate it. It's, it's sweet. It's, I, I don't it. know. I, I love it when it's me. <laughs> I, don't, I just had a birthday. I didn't want you taking a cake. You bastard. Uh, what's the date? The Today 20, is the 21st of yeah, December. The 19th. Was your birthday? Yeah. <laughs> 11 years? 11 years. Happy birthday. Thank you. Well, you're going to go have to take a fucking cake now because don't forget, you taking a cake isn't for you. It's to give hope to the newcomers so that they can do it too. You know, let me tell you, okay, (laughs) I I call bullshit on that whole thing because when you're new, when you have – and this was my experience – when I had like five days sober, four days sober or something, and someone came up and they started talking to me, I and they're like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm Josh, I'm an alcoholic, how you doing, how you feeling, oh, blah, 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 oh, how long have you been sober, oh, yeah, I got five days, how long have you been sober, like, oh, I got 11 years, I I couldn't hear anything after that. Yeah. It was like, like, never going to happen for me. Yeah. I, I, I totally lost the ability. Like, because it seems impossible to get that much time. It seems impossible. Like, at five days, it seems impossible to get to fucking day six. Yeah. Let alone 11 years. Yeah. Like, fuck, man. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's a strange gift, though. I mean, the thing is, is that we've, we've been through something that has, forced us to live a life where we tried to actively be better people on a daily basis. And most people don't ever have to face themselves in the way that we've had to face ourselves. And um, they don't gain the self-awareness that we are forced to gain. And that's the strange double-edged sword with sobriety. And that's the strange gift of being an alcoholic that being an alcoholic gives you. It's so weird. Yeah. It's such a trip if you really think about it. The whole thing's such a trip. It's wild. And it, it's it like, is. I mean, believe me, I still, I mean, there's still times that I really wish I could drink, like especially during the holiday season. Like this morning on NPR, I was listening to um, this guy talk about um, how to make an Irish whiskey. And they were talking about how, you know, on Christmas morning, it's a great thing to, sorry, an Irish coffee to have coffee with some whiskey in it and opening presents and blah, blah, blah. And we used to do that um, before I my alcoholism got really out of hand. We used to have mimosas every morning, my family and I, and sit around and open presents. And I love that because I fucking love day drinking. Like love day drinking. Those are my favorite thing. Who wants to wait till 6 o'clock when you can feel great at 11 a.m.? Like yeah. I don't understand that. So, and I was hearing that and I was like, fuck. Like, why can't I do that? You know, and I, w- I had that moment where I'm like, 
Why am I an alcoholic? Why can't I just have one or two drinks? Why can't I have fun like everybody else? Why can't I taste like this pinoa and pinoa? Pinot? Pinot? Is it pinoa? No. Pinot? I don't know where they... I was mixing up Pinot. Syrah and Pinot. Pinot Grigio? This has been... <laughs> Uh, Clearly not much it. of a wine expert over here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Is that the one that comes in the box? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Is that the one fuck. that comes in, in the huge jug? <laughs> yeah. Because that's that's what I, I need the big one. That's what I need is the big one. Yeah, but um and, and I'm just like, why can't I enjoy that like normal people and have a good time at a party like normal people and get fucked up sometimes and be hungover and just like, you know, not start drinking again the next morning. It like, why can't I be normal? And I get so angry with myself, but then I think, you know what, this is my journey and this is just who I am. And it's brought me, you know, a lot of, of great gifts. Cause in between those times of being me being so frustrated with myself for not being a normal person and being able to drink like a normal person, I have these incredible spiritual experiences and these moments and these conversations with somebody like you where we can talk about this insane journey that we're on, you know, and um, the incredible things that we've been open to and the experiences that we've had because we're alcoholics. We would have never had that if we didn't have that. And that's like, that's that's the gift of... Of this whole crazy shit, I don't miss it. I, you know, I did, and, and that could. Um, full disclosure, that could change by the time I get to the door. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I, you know, I think probably because I'm still early again, and I've only got seven months now. Because when I was like at seven years, I didn't ever think about it. I didn't miss it at all, and most of the time, I, I don't miss it. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of like. There's definitely times where I'm like, fuck, man. Yeah, I wish. Uh, I wish. You know? I'm not – yeah, I'm not saying I don't – I don't uh, – I'm trying to think of, like, when the last time I was – I was kind of like, oh, you know what would make this better? A Corona or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know if I drank Corona. <laughs> I mean, I would, if you, but uh, – yeah, I don't I, – I don't – I don't know when it was, which is weird. Yeah, which is weird, and, and and which is weird because I'm no fucking spiritual giant, like, and I'm no I'm no better than anyone else. It's just it's just fucking weird, you know. Yeah, and I think that's something. You know, one one thing I do want to say, if there's anyone who's like listening to this, who's you know uh, contemplating getting sober, thinking that they may have a problem, or thinking, you know, uh, don't. Like, you don't have to accomplish all this in a day. Yeah. Like, just get sober, man. Just ask for help. Like, everything else will fall into place. Like, just fucking get sober. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, like, life gets so fucking good. And for anybody who's kind of isn't isn't sure of what we're talking about, like, Holly and I don't work for AA. I'm not paid by AA. <laughs> like, we're not... We're not, you know, nope. we're not getting kickbacks or anything like that. No. Nope. Um, I'd speak a lot. I would be probably be more stoked on like speaking and doing shit like that if, if, I, if I were. Yeah, we don't get money for this. Yeah, but I mean, um, it's it's just it's. 
it's good, man. Life is life is life is good. Yeah. I mean, the reason I wanted to do this and I wanted to talk openly about this um, is because when I was in my disease, when I was drinking, I felt so alone. And yeah. I felt that there was, before I discovered Alcoholics Anonymous, before I went to rehab the first time and really started to learn about my disease, I felt so alone. And I was sure that there was nobody on the planet who drank the way I drank and, and the things that I did and um, the shame around it. And I was sure that I was just a worthless human being and that nobody was ever going to love me and I was never going to get out of this dark yeah. place. And there was just no hope. And I just, I want people to know that, that there is. And, um, I mean, I remember like, so, you know, one of the things that I used to do in the morning is I used to do this thing called what I called sink drinking. Right. So if I didn't, if I drank all the vodka the night before, which I usually had, um, you know, the liquor stores don't open until, I don't know, 11 or something like that. So I get up the next morning and I needed, I needed alcohol because I was so fucking sick. And so I would go to 7-Eleven and I would buy like those fucking little bottles of like Gallo wine. Yeah. Because you can buy those at like 8 a.m. And I would buy like a whole bunch of them and I would take them back to my place and I would stand over my kitchen sink because I knew I was going to throw up about half of it. And I would line up those bottles and then I would drink a bottle and I'd vomit it up immediately because like my body's just rejecting it they're like fuck you you put so much alcohol in yeah. me last night like what are you doing to me and so then I take the next bottle and I drink that and I throw that one up and I take the next bottle drink that and throw that one up and then maybe by like the third or the fourth bottle like I kind of hold it down and once I could hold down that one like little bottle I was like okay now I'm good now I can like drink the rest of these and then I can like try to fucking make it through the morning yeah. and like get to work and like make it at least until like noon when I need my next drink to make it till three when I need my next drink. And, and I remember sitting there one, first of all, that alone is really fucking sad, right? Yeah, that's gnarly. But that's then gnarly. I had this idea cause I was like, I'm wasting so much alcohol and this is like so gross and I never did it, but I had a very serious thought where I looked in that sink and I saw all of this wine that was going down the drain and I was like, maybe I should just throw up in a bucket and then, like, drink that again. Because, like, it was only in my system for, like, half a second before it came back up again. Like, and there's no food gnarly. in my stomach. <laughs> that is so gnarly. <laughs> and That's maybe, like, like you know, ugh. because, like, what happens if, like, I throw up all of these bottles of alcohol and then I've got nothing left? What am I going to do? And it was just, and again, I never did that. But having that thought in my head terrified me. Yeah. But it seemed perfectly logical at the time. That type of shit does seem logical. Yeah. It seems, it seems like... Like, I mean, I, there is, there, you know, I can, speaking as an alcoholic, I could say, like, that's kind of a solid plan. Yeah. It's fucking gross. Yeah. But. <laughs> right? But it, just, it, it just having, work. having that <laughs> yeah. thought. It's fucking bananas. It's to, bananas. And terrified yeah. me. And that was a moment where I was like, I'm seriously fucked up. Yeah. Like, and there's, this is disgusting. And if I tell someone this to somebody, they're going to, like, lock me away. And think that I'm a disgusting, worthless human being. I can never tell anybody that I'm having this thought. What'd you do this morning? Uh, fucking, you know, just woke up and drank some regurgitated <laughs> Carlo Rossi. <laughs> Pinoy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, oh, right? But then, crazy. like, once I finally went to rehab, met other people like me, 
and 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 eventually kind of told that story, people were like, like you, they're like, yeah, that that makes sense. That's gross because yeah. you know it is fucking disgusting. But as an alcoholic, I can understand where that thinking would come from, and that's something that would occur to me. Or I would tell some story that was so shameful and so awful and something that I swore that, you know, I would never tell anybody. And not only would somebody totally understand and not judge me, but would come back with the story like 10 times worse. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, like these people get me. And that was, for me, that was like the greatest gift of, yeah. of the program was to, to finally meet people who understood me. Yeah. That's, that's why we're here, man. Yeah. Yeah, because it's hard for people who don't understand. Yeah. And it's hard to, like, it's hard to get it. And that feeling, it's like, even even when we know, I think even when we know, like, people who are sober in, in AA or something, we're just like, yeah, but I'm still just different. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, it might, it, it probably works for them, but it doesn't work for me. Like, the self-esteem right. is just so low. And then you couple it with, like, this industry, and it's just like... It's fucking horrible. You know, that was another thing, too, that yeah. I was like, I can't. I remember telling my therapist, I'm like, I can't. Like, what am I going to do? Nobody, else, everyone in my industry, in the adult industry, drinks and does drugs. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll am i never be able to, like, how am I going to go to AVN and, and be sober? You know, that's impossible. And she was like, I can guarantee you there's people in your industry who are sober. And I was like, that's not true. That's not possible. And actually what happened was... Um, it's completely possible. It's completely true. Not only... So what happened was, so when I went to rehab, um, I was like, <laughs> I sort of dated this blogger named Luke Luke Ford, who was kind of nuts and sort of like obsessed with me. I don't know who he is. So yeah, okay. So yeah, you, of course, if you work for Old Old Black, school. you know who he is, right? <laughs> yeah. So when I went, so I had just gotten a job writing a monthly column for Expos. Okay. And I went to rehab and I was like, fuck, I still have to write this column, you know, my first article. I hadn't submitted it yet. And um, Luke outed me on his blog as being in rehab. I was trying to keep it under wraps, but he, he like found out and then, and then, because everyone in the industry read the blog, and so then they knew. And so I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to write my first fucking article for my new job as a columnist at XBiz, and I'm going to write about how I'm in rehab and my alcoholism because you know what? May as well tell my side of the story. And I did that, and the outpouring of support that I got and the amount of people in the industry who were sober and who were in the program who yeah. I had no fucking idea we're in that, like, people I looked up to reached out to me. They were like, hey, me too. I've been sober this long. I've been sober this long. Like, you're yeah. not alone. I know how you feel. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Because we are everywhere. Yeah, You know, and true. when you're open to it and you're open to receiving that help, like, you can't get rid of us. We're it, all over the place. No, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's a fucking, it's a trip, man. Yeah. It's, a, it's a trip. And it's, it's, uh. You it, the, like you said, it's like when you're open to it, and once you once you say it, and once it's out there, it's kind of like the rest just kind of takes takes care of itself, right? In that sense, and you know, if anyone is like listening, you, you, as as lonely as you feel, and as as different as you feel, like you're not the only one, man. You're definitely not. You're not. There's two weirdos here. <laughs> at least two. Yeah. There's at least two. Yeah. 
All right, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This. I love you to death. I love you too. You made me miss the industry. Aw, well, you can you can always come on back. I'm sure there's some job you <laughs> no, want to clean, man. come up off the floor or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up baby wipes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. So, um, where can people find you on the internet if they want to find out more? Um, I have a treatment facility. It's seachangerecovery.com. Um, and, and it's C S E A. S E A change. Uh, uh, Recovery.com, and you can go there and find me. I'm not like a, a, a huge interneter. You're not a huge interneter, but you do have an Instagram too. And I do you have post an Instagram. some of your work up there, which is really awesome. I do. You can see that. It's Josh Lazy, L A Z I E. Uh, it's at Josh Lazy. Awesome. And then you guys can obviously find me at Holly Randall and um, hollyrandall.com. And if you need help, you can always go to um, the Alcoholics Anonymous website is aa.org, and you can call the AA hotline, which I do not know by heart, but I know the number is it, on that website. Yeah, it's it's on there. And for for whatever part of the world you're in, there's like a little search engine thing. You can always find help, and you know, for those of you who, you know, maybe feel like they need to go to treatment, you don't have insurance, you don't have money, you know, there are there are options that you can find that will. Um, take people who don't have insurance and don't have money. So don't use that as an excuse. If if you want to go to treatment and you want and you need some help, you can go to our website, seachangerecovery.com. Uh, you can contact me, and we're an all male facility. But I don't care if you're a female, if you're a male, if you're a transgender. It doesn't matter. We will help you find somewhere to get into. Like there are options out there. Yeah. There's tons of them. Don't, don't worry if you don't have insurance, if you don't have any money. There's options out there. We will help you find them. I don't want a fucking dime from any of you. Like it's we, because we get calls from people all the time, man. And it's like we help we we help people get placed. You know, we'll, we'll help people do anything. We're 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 still those idiots who still like give a fuck about what we do in the treatment industry. It's a, both a blessing and a curse. <laughs> let's <laughs> that's, that's just be honest yeah all right thank you everybody for tuning in and uh we'll see you next week wow that was um that was a powerful interview and you know that was almost two hours and i could have just gone on and on and on because there's just so much to talk about in terms of addiction and recovery i think this is just such an incredibly important topic in today's world and you know, it was a little scary for me to open up the way that I did, but but I'm glad that I did. And I hope that um, if there was at least one person who was listening who this helps, then all of this was absolutely worth it. A discussion about addiction and mental health overall has been sparked on social media, and I've seen it affect people I know personally within my industry. So whether or not you're struggling with addiction or depression, these are both forms of mental illness. Different demons who serve the same master. A strange sort of mental trickery that seeks to destroy us. I think that this discussion about addiction and other forms of mental illness should be talked about because the term mental illness has been stigmatized in a way where we think it means one has to be shut away in a nut house for all eternity. And just like a physical illness, the flu, or even something as serious as cancer, that illness does not define who we are. We can get better. 
we can take steps to have a healthier state of mind. So if you need help with alcohol or any kind of drug addiction, you can always contact Alcoholics Anonymous. You can go to their website, which is aa.org, or you can call a 24-hour hotline, which is 510-839-8900. Or as Josh mentioned, you can reach out to either him or me on social media, and we can help direct you on the right path. Getting sober is the hardest thing that you'll ever do in your entire life, but it's the most rewarding thing that you'll ever do in your entire life. And if you can conquer your addiction, you can conquer anything. Next week on the show, I'm bringing you another man. I've gotten a couple of comments that I'm interviewing far too many females that the men in the industry are being underrepresented. So I've got Derek Pierce on to tell you all about what it's like to be a male performer in this industry. I've known Derek a long time. He actually used to shoot with my mom. That's how I first met him. So I think this is going to be a really fun interview. He's always a hilarious guy to talk to, and he's got a lot of insight. And I think for all of you guys who have wondered what it's like to be a male porn star, could I do that? I think that you definitely don't want to miss this episode. So make sure that you tune in next week on Holly Randall Unfiltered. 